1: We'll just do what we did yesterday. We're back in the helicopter with polar bear researchers Nick Lunn and Dave McGeechee, searching for mother bears with cubs.
2: If we're a little heavy, that was all the bacon David had for breakfast.
1: (laughs) This is springtime over the huge, frigid landscape. Mother bears are waking up after eight months of fasting and heading out to the sea ice of Hudson Bay. We're just back in the air after finding the female bear without any cubs. It doesn't take long for Nick to spot something.
2: There's another bear heading out, another single. Oh, I can't tell, but it's another bear running.
1: A small figure running through the snow.
2: Going off at eleven o'clock. Now right off our nose And there's rubble, slightly to your left. Okay. Yeah, you're right on it. Fly oh, tight. I got it, yeah. I still can't tell if there's a cub.
1: We're right over the main denning area, so most bears here are new mothers with little cubs. But it's hard to tell. Have we found a family group or another single bear? Looking across this hostile environment from up here, nothing but ice and biting cold wind really makes you think about what it takes for these bears to survive how they've evolved for these conditions.
2: bears are out on the sea ice and that's where they want to be. And they build up all their energy by hunting seals. That's what they want to do. That's what they're built for. That's how they evolved. And now during the springtime, the name of the
1: game is seals. Eat as much as you can before the ice goes away, especially if you're a mother with new cubs. They each dug out a maternal den in the fall Gave birth in December, nursed their cubs, and are now coming
2: out, very hungry. Then that female is going to take those cubs back out onto the sea ice where she's going to replenish her reserves that she's lost over eight months and she's going to look out and and raise those cubs.
1: On this episode, we look at the challenges that face polar bear mothers and cubs in the spring. There's a whole list of dangers before we even get to climate change and loss of sea ice. And how the ever-growing season of summer is a threat to the survival of this population around western Hudson Bay in the Canadian North. Back up in the helicopter, Nick is keeping his eye on that bear. But something seems off. One of the bears looks like a large male. And it has something in its mouth.
2: Is it a family group? Oh, it's something bloody. I don't know. If or is it a Might be. Or is it a dead beer? I don't know what it is, David. So let's
1: go in and have a look. From KOW in Seattle, I'm Chris Morgan. Welcome to the Wild. Sea ice covers nearly seven million square miles of the world's oceans at any given time. And here, the sea ice of Hudson Bay is ever changing. We're in the southern extent of the Arctic Ocean where currents push and shift the ice around. Ice columns as big as houses crash into one another. Spaces of open water come and go. This dynamic environment creates habitat for seals and polar bears. But it can also be a dangerous place. Something that Nick Lunn knows all too well. He's a polar bear biologist with the Canadian government.
2: It was a perfect and lovely sunny day and we were catching lots of bears and there was lots of ice moving around. It was spring, 1985, and
1: Nick was doing some polar bear capture work from a helicopter in Baffin Bay in the northern part of
2: Canada, right next to Greenland. It was time for a break so we landed on the sea ice and our helicopter had floats and we landed we sat there and we had lunch and you could hear the rumblings and see things moving around
1: nick and his crew ate their lunch on the sea ice and after their short break they loaded up the helicopter and flew off to continue their work for the day
2: we came back to that same spot within about half an hour of when we had just been there and the ice underneath had actually split in two right between the, the two skids of the helicopter. So there was one skid here, a lot of open water, and the other piece of ice with the skid on was somewhere else. The rumbling they'd heard
1: was right under them, and a huge crack in the ice had opened up. It was a real eye-opening moment for Nick. He almost laughs about it now, but his team and the whole
2: helicopter could have ended up falling right through the crack and sinking into the bay i could imagine that if we started seeing that happening with a helicopter not running and we're just sitting there it would have been probably quite a different uh quite a different experience
1: that's quite the understatement from nick everything here is at the mercy of the weather and the ice and the bears he's satellite collared over many years have revealed that really clearly he shows me a huge paper map on the wall outside his lab so what have we got here these are some of the movements
2: yeah so this is a poster and it shows first of all it shows individual bears and different movement different home ranges in different years and you can
1: 15 collared bears over three years on Hudson Bay a mess of zigzagging lines
2: and this is what we call a spaghetti map and so that's basically putting all the location data for each bear and then connecting successive locations with a line so you can sort of see the, the movements of, of individuals. So this is you
1: can see where bears spend time on shore in summer and on the sea ice in winter.
2: With, with new satellite technology and sea ice imagery, you can start to look at the characteristics of the sea ice mm-hmm. and then you can marry that with where your bears are.
1: As Nick pours his finger over the map, it's pretty mesmerizing, I picture each bear using the bay as an ever-shifting platform of ice and cracks of open
2: water to hunt the seals they need. The sea ice drives everything. It really determines how big, how fat a polar bear is going to be. And in the case of females, their reproductive productivity moving forward. I mean, polar bears are as big as polar bears are because they have that high-fat diet, which are these seals, whether they're ring seals or bearded seals.
1: Can you encapsulate how a warming world or something out there that is changing is
2: impacting these bears? Yeah. I, I mean, for polar bears, as I've said before, their life history is dependent on sea ice. And that's where they, how, how, why they are polar bears. And for this subpopulation, because the sea ice melts completely every year, they don't have an option of going somewhere else. They come ashore. They have to come ashore. They can't swim for four or five months and tread water. So they come ashore. So when they come ashore, they're really not getting a lot of energy in whatever they find on shore. So they have to put on as much fat as they can in the springtime. So when they come ashore, they have fat reserves that will last the period that they're on shore before it freezes up. This period of fasting is even more extreme for the pregnant
1: females. An expecting mother won't eat for eight months. She won't have access to seals or any other type of food. From when the ice melts in the summer, all the way through fall and winter to the next spring. Female polar bears can breed by the time they're about six years old. Courtship happens out on the sea ice, usually in March or April. A male bear will follow a female, sometimes for miles and over many days, until the female comes into estrus. Then they mate. But the fertilised egg doesn't implant, doesn't start to grow in the uterus, till months later, when she's on shore entering her winter maternity den. It's called delayed implantation. But here's the clever part, that pregnancy, that implantation will only take
2: if she's built up enough fat reserves during her time on the ice. And so from whatever they come ashore with, with their fat reserves, they've got to meet their own metabolic costs. They've got to produce anywhere from one to three cubs. They've got to be able to produce milk for those cubs from those same stores. And they've got to be able to get them back out onto the sea ice.
1: And now, in the spring, there's a sort of highly synchronous emergence of all the mothers from their dens. They are heading back out to the sea ice, just as a key event in the bear calendar is happening. The seal pups are being born on the
2: ice. So at about a time that there's going to be this huge pulse of food resources available to them where they can fatten up again. So the females are all going to be heading out at roughly the same time, which is why for us... The timing is, is so critical. It's a pretty incredible system that's evolved. The mother seals are giving birth just as the mother bears need food desperately to replace their lost weight. Mm-hmm. Right? Because they're going to be moving back to the sea ice, whether it's too cold for us to work or, you know, unsafe to fly because it's snowy and overcast. Right? So, it's a little uh, window. It's- yeah, it's, we have a very, very short window of time in which to try and catch a sample.
1: There's another researcher here in Churchill who's diving deep on the questions around a polar bear's fat reserves because it's all about diet.
3: So you can kind of think of it almost as like calorie counting for a polar bear.
1: Counting those calories is Dr Louise Archer. She's a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Toronto, Scarborough.
3: Um, so if we know how much how much body fat um, for example, that they come on land with, and we know how much energy they're using on it on a daily basis, we can then understand just how long bears can go for without food based on their, their use of energy and how much energy they accumulate when they're on the sea ice.
1: Louise is here in Churchill working with a charity called Polar Bears International.
3: I come from a, a small town on the southwest coast of Ireland. Yeah, I come from a bit of a ways away. And right now I'm working on developing energy budget models for polar bears um, to aid in their conservation and management.
1: In other words, animal energetics, how the metabolism of animals works. Her PhD was studying the metabolism of brown trout. But Louise's research has now turned to polar bears, and she's in awe of these mother polar bears, the fact that they can fast for eight months out of the year, all just to bring new cubs into the world
3: these tiny tiny bears a newborn polar bear cub is only about the size of a stick of butter so just bigger than the size of your hand really tiny animal has only a very fine amount of fur um, almost helpless.
1: She often wonders what must be going through the mind of a mother polar bear.
3: When you're somewhere like Churchill and you see the snow blowing outside I do always think of like There's a mum probably getting ready to leave her den right about now and is she going to poke her head out and it's going to be blowing snow and and that's going to be the cub's first experience and how long is she going to stay around for and what are they doing?
1: Louise has been using computers to build models that can predict outcomes and hopefully answer those questions.
3: So, it's a lot of taking um, different sources of data, using theoretical relationships from from physiology, and integrating all these things in to build a picture of, of what an energy budget looks like for a polar bear and integrate this into a modeling framework.
1: She's looking at the level of energy a bear needs to sustain a healthy weight. And as you can imagine, a massive animal like that needs a lot of calories.
3: But we know for, for an average bear uh, moving around on the sea ice, um, they'd need to, to catch um, an adult seal. Um, one adult seal around every 10 to 12 days would keep an adult polar bear on the sea ice breaking even in terms of calorie needs. So
1: Year round though?
3: Year round, it, yeah. So, so that's
1: like 50 odd seals a that's year. That's around
3: 50, yeah, 50 odd seals a year on average. Um, And then it it changes if you think about the kind of prey they're eating. So seal pups are are less calorie rich. They need to eat more seal pups just to break even. Um, So it does vary um, depending on on lots of different things.
1: A polar bear digests fat from seals very efficiently. They absorb about 97% of the fat they eat. And they need every ounce of it, especially mums because they provide milk for their cubs for up to two years.
3: So she really is funneling a lot of energy into her cubs. So polar bear milk can be around 31% fat. So we're talking about like whipping cream level of fat. So she really is um, fueling a lot of energy into her cubs. So it's it's pretty incredible that she's able to do that and, and that she can then go, go on and, and hopefully hopefully keep those cubs going.
1: When she went into the den, The mother bear's body temperature dropped a degree or two to reduce her energy needs. She's sleepy, but awake. Every few days, she scrapes ice away from the ceiling to let oxygen in. She gives birth, nurses her cubs with that rich, creamy milk, and watches them grow. From less than a pound to about 20 pounds in just three months. But as her cubs are increasing their weight, she's losing hers she might lose half her body weight over the winter. So when she comes out of the den, she's thin and hungry. She needs to consume as many calories as she can before the ice melts away and spring turns to summer.
3: So the cubs will will start to feed on on seal kills that she makes as well. So cubs will start eating little bits of, of seal meat um, and seal blubber around this time. Um, but they're still depending on the female to provide milk for them as well. So she's got these two challenges um, because, of course, in Hudson Bay, the ice is going to melt coming into the summertime. So she really has to get out there and feed heavily. Um, around this, this time coming into, coming into April time so that she can build back up her body fat to come back onto land with her cubs, continue on lactating hopefully and, and be able to support them through that period of time um, in the summertime.
1: Not easy being a mother polar bear. Yeah, it's,
3: it's so challenging.
1: Will she have enough calories in reserve to last if this cycle stretches beyond those eight months? How long can a mother make it work?
3: I find it incredible when, when you think about what female polar bears can do and, and the challenges that they can face and, and still be able to support their cubs.
1: Louise's computer models are showing that it is getting harder and harder for females with cubs to find enough calories in Hudson Bay. Because the sea ice is melting earlier, it means that females have less time on the ice to build up fat reserves they need when they come onto the land
0: but
3: they're also spending longer on land when they're not hunting. So it's kind of hitting them from both directions of shorter time when they can hunt and longer time when they have to rely on their fat reserves to fuel them. And that is becoming more difficult for polar bears here.
1: But it's not just finding enough calories and a change in climate that makes life so tough for them. Which brings us back to the moment we spot a bear out on the ice with something in its mouth.
2: There's another bear heading out. Another single? Oh, I can't tell. But it's another bear running.
1: Nick points out the window to show me what looks like a large male running fast across the flat sea ice below us. And another adult bear running in the opposite direction. But it's really hard to see what's going on.
2: Is there a family group? Oh, It's something bloody. I don't know if it it a male. Might be. Or is it a dead bear? I don't know what it is. David, well, let's go in and have a look.
1: The pilot drops us lower and as we approach, the adult male drops whatever was in his mouth and takes off running. Both helicopters circle for a minute and then land about 50 yards away from a tiny motionless figure on the snow. We just landed the helicopters to come out and see what a bear has been eating on the sea ice here, walking across the sea ice, oh shoot, I think it's a cub, I think it's a dead cub that this bear was eating, oh it is, oh no, it's a tiny, single polar bear cub, lying motionless in the snow, it all hits me at once, How vulnerable this little creature looks out here, miles from shore on the endless sea ice. But also, how tough this cub has been to even make it this far.
2: We saw it had something in its mouth and we thought maybe it was a seal.
1: Nick and Dave try to piece together what happened.
2: But it turned out to be a bear cub and now we're thinking maybe that bear, the first bear might have been an adult female and this might have been her cub that that adult male took.
1: Oh, that's so sad.
2: The circle of life in nature. The circle
1: of life sometimes includes males killing cubs. It's called infanticide. Some scientists say it's just for food. Others say it's to make the female available to breed again. But in his 42 years of research, Nick tells me he's never seen what we saw today, a male carrying a freshly killed cub. The team weighs the cub, 27 pounds. A very healthy little polar bear. It's just brutal to see. Nick believes this cub was alive sometime today, perhaps even less than an hour ago. And the cub is still a little bit warm even, deep down in there, and uh, soft. Oh, this poor creature, right, compared to, there's a story with every one of these cubs. My thoughts turned to the mother, all the work she put into this cub, just to lose it all on the family's first day on the sea ice. Later, Nick's assistant, Dave McGeechey, describes the hardship this cub's mother had to go through.
2: It just seemed like an unfortunate situation for the female um, coming out of the denning area. And the first thing she encounters is a a grumpy old adult male on the sea ice that, you know, for her to go fast eight months, not only fast for eight months, fast while gestating, fasting while lactating, and then migrating 100 kilometers potentially with this cub um, back to the sea ice, having nothing to eat in that whole time. And then, yeah, losing that cub instantly on the sea ice must have been pretty traumatic for that female. Um, And then now she might have to do it all over again if she um, breeds again this year.
1: But for every story of loss and failure, there's often a success story to help balance the scales. After the break, a different outcome for another new polar bear mother, and what the future could look like for the Hudson Bay polar bear population. Polar bears are usually solo animals, out on the ice, hunting to get the 50 seals they need every year to get enough calories. But things are different in summer on Hudson Bay.
3: Each year when temperature is warm, the polar bears are forced off western Hudson Bay onto land. Um, and they'll spend that summertime on land, really not doing a huge amount.
1: They might eat a bit of kelp, eggs from nesting birds if they can find them. But no seals to hunt and no real opportunities for food. Louise Archer describes how the polar bears are forced into a time of taking it easy sometimes in groups under a warm summer sun they're not really designed for.
3: They can even overheat pretty easily because they have so much body fat so what they tend to do when the sea ice disappears is really just conserve energy so they'll won't be moving around very much. They'll spend a lot of time just chilling out.
1: Every day they're stuck on land, an average bear loses 2.2 pounds. For some of them, that's losing 260 pounds over the summer, every year. And it's more for females because they fast even longer.
3: And that is becoming more difficult for polar bears here. So we have seen that, that period of time that they're spending on land increase. So around three to four weeks um, for polar bears now spending on land compared to what their grandparents would have done in this population. So it really is um, challenging the bears here mm. for sure.
1: Nick Lund tells me he has people say to him all the time that as the climate is changing, polar bears will simply adapt back to
2: life ashore, right? They'll find things to eat on land. And yes, polar bears do eat just about anything, right? Very, very opportunistic. I mean, Mm. I've watched them eat garbage. I've watched them eat batteries. I've watched them in my younger days. I've watched them run down and catch flightless geese, right? Mm. You know, but none of those things return the type of energy that polar bears need. So one individual... An entire subpopulation like that one here on Western Hudson
1: Bay can't live off grasses and berries alone. They just won't be able to sustain themselves. They've taken many hundreds of thousands of years to become highly specialized, fat-loving consumers of seals. The world is warming too fast for them to evolve out of the corner they've found themselves in.
2: Yeah, and the the scale or the time frame of polar bear evolution, while it's fairly quick in evolutionary terms, what we're seeing here is unprecedented, right? You know, it's the, the ch- climate is changing so rapidly here. There just simply isn't time for a polar bear to devolve into something else. And then even if it did, it's really no longer a polar bear. This is the big threat facing this population. Will these
1: intelligent, highly evolved bears be able to consume enough calories during a shorter hunting period for the longer time they now have to spend on land? Back up in the choppers, there's a big black hole in a deep snowbank right below us. It's a den that's just been evacuated. And there's more than one set of very fresh polar bear tracks. Lots
2: awesome of activity in that creek. Is that the way you're looking at, Nick? Ah, uh, there's just some right... Oh, well, there's below. a bear right there. They're right in front of us, or right off our nose.
1: Nick spots a bear on the edge of a frozen lake, and it looks like she might have some cubs by her side. I'm in the second helicopter above them, watching the whole unbelievable scene.
2: Did she have two when we first sighted her? She had two, yep. So where's the other one? Is it still in her tracks back there?
1: A mum with two little cubs, exactly what Nick's looking for. Nick's assistant and the pilot successfully dart the mum. One cub stays right next to her, but the other cub has run off in the opposite direction. Oh yeah, it's right down there. In, In the trees? In the snow. So how
2: do you wrangle a polar bear cub? Well, oh, you're gonna find out.
1: <laughs> the helicopter makes a few circles around the lake to keep a close eye on the cub. Then they make a landing, scoop the cub up, gently sedate it, and fly it over to where mom is. They open Nick's helicopter door and there's the cub on his lap, quietly sleeping. Can I carry her over? Yeah. Nick hands me the little bundle of fur, and I bring her over to reunite her with her family. Thank you. Is Mom is fast asleep, okay. and her sister okay. is making a lot of noise.
2: Okay. Okay. <laughs>
1: There's your sister. There's your sister. Oh yeah, wow, this one looks almost smaller. I hold the cub close to my chest inside my parka. It's important to keep them warm while their mother is immobilised during Nick's data collection. It's a moment I can't quite believe. It's okay. Oh my goodness, are you kidding me? This is the sweetest thing i've ever experienced in my life you are amazing you're okay she looks exactly like a perfect miniature polar bear just like one of those toy bears with a little black nose and eyes five small toes on each paw with icy clumps on them i'm looking at her thinking how on earth does this little thing survive out here and then she starts to snore. Wish you a long life, a long and happy life, little cub. Nick puts me to work to collect some information on the cubs.
2: So cub one was cub a female? W- cub one is a female and oh. I happen not sexed this one. You want me to look?
1: Also, also female, but you might want to double check for me. I've never sexed a polar bear cub before. We then weigh them. So 17 pounds. Do you want to double check? You got
2: the light on your side. 16 and a half. Okay. 16 and a half. That other piece slide through, through. Yep. Should do it.
1: This spring fieldwork allows Nick to monitor the condition of mothers right before they're able to hunt on the ice again, and also their litter sizes, cub sex ratio, and cub weight. He can then track how sea ice breakup is affecting these things. Nick has found that the size of cubs has been changing. They aren't as big as they used to be. He tells me about a time in 2017 when he saw a female with two cubs from the window of his helicopter.
2: And the first cub was with her, like, you know, trundling along through the snow. And then behind her was this really, really tiny cub that couldn't keep up. And mum kept running going back and moving back and forth and back and forth.
1: Normally, Nick gently immobilizes the cubs so they can sleep while he takes measurements and weighs them. But this cub was so weak
2: and so small that Nick didn't dare to do that. I truly thought that if I immobilized it, I would kill it, right? And I was able to take all the measurements that I would normally take, you know, its length and all those sorts of measurements with it not immobilized. And I didn't put tags in its ears because to do that, I would have had to have immobilized it. So I, I got some basic information from it, but it was really, really sad. It's by far the smallest cub that I had ever seen in, in 40 years. What
1: was, what was the
2: future looking like for that cub? That cub, I, I mean, I, I would guess it would be lucky if it even made it out to the sea ice. Right. It was in such poor shape.
1: Cubs that are smaller and not as healthy have a direct impact on the growth and survival of this next generation. And it's not just the cub
2: numbers and weight that's dropping. And what we're starting to see is even now that young adults, you know, the five, six, seven year olds that back in the 80s would be producing cubs, they're not so they're not presumably not in sufficient condition mm. to be able to produce and carry you know pregnancy to full term what nick is talking about is known as
1: recruitment it means the number of new animals in a population that will replace
2: the older members that are dying off so if females are producing as many cubs as they used to as the bears move along the conveyor belt of life and drop off because they die they're too old there isn't the recruitment coming up from below, right? A female can have one to three
1: cubs, but Nick hasn't seen three cubs survive all the way through summer since
2: 1996. So you end up with this population, if that continues long term, you end up with a population in decline.
1: It's a profound feeling, knowing what Nick has told me about this as a population in decline while holding the next generation in my hands. But the reality is, we know where this population is headed.
2: At some point down the road, there will not be a viable polar bear subpopulation here, which will be sad, it will be tragic that we've allowed that to happen. You know, and Will it happen in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years?
1: Louise Archer has run her computer population and energetics models, and she predicts that if nothing is done to cut down the use of fossil fuels now, then in 100 years, polar bears will only exist in the most northern parts of the Arctic. Nick feels that in the work that he does with these bears. Do you feel like you're, you're watching a, a, a population disappear?
2: Uh, I, unfortunately, I do. Uh, I mean, given what, you know, the current trajectory that we're on. I mean, I often, I've joked about it in the past that maybe I'm nothing more but a polar bear historian.
1: Maybe that is the sad reality, but there are still places I can see hope. And there's one right in front of me. That small sickly cub that Nick just talked about, the one he saw a few years ago. He never found out if it lived or died, but his field records reveal something extraordinary to us. This polar bear mother we're with right now is the mother of that cub. And here she is, six years later, with a new litter of cubs, and both of them looking fighting fit and ready to take on the sea ice. And most importantly, both of them are females. So this mother has put these two females into the world, and that's amazing for this population, it's exactly what it needs to sustain it into the future. It's amazing to think that I'm holding the the future population of Polar bears, part of the future population of polar bears in in this, this area. It's incredible. We can always look to the next generation for hope. When I was talking to Louise Archer, she told me she feels hope when she sees young people talking about climate change. She wasn't hearing those types of conversations when she was that age. But it doesn't stop there. We all know more than talk is needed.
3: And for me, the most motivating thing would be seeing um, action from elected leaders on climate change right now. So actions that we know will improve um, future projections for sea ice. So what the sea ice environment is going to look like into the future. And because we know that's going to be good news for polar bears.
1: And good news for polar bears is good news for us. Because, like the lesson taught by the volcano, Mount Pinatubo, what happens here in the Arctic affects all of us around the globe. The blades of the helicopter start to wind up as I say goodbye to these two cubs. Theys pulled them back all together and now here they are, the three of them. They're gonna come out of their drug pretty soon and start heading north again to the ice. And it's an amazing thought to think that uh, this family will be right where they belong pretty soon, hunting seals on the ice for mom, where she needs to be. And who knows, maybe 15, 18 years from now, the next in line after Nick's finished and retire, will be capturing these cubs again and monitoring how they're doing in life. I leave them on their journey through the seasons of life here in Hudson Bay. My time here has been so impactful. I think because Nick's work doesn't just look at an entire population of hundreds of polar bears. It teaches us about the individual bears too, the things that can sometimes get lost in science, the ups and downs of each of their daily lives. We admire these creatures so much, their resilience, their intelligence, and because they can do things that we can't. They can live in places where we would fail. But that admiration is often mixed with guilt that we're the ones who are upsetting the balance of their world in a place that's already filled with daily struggle for them, in a home that's disappearing around them as they quietly signal the alarm. Perhaps what's needed is not just hope, but belief that we will correct our course for each of these incredible bears, their descendants, and all of us on planet Earth.
0: Oh, when the cold here, then we.
1: So The song you just heard is called Winter's Eve by musician Kishi Bashi. He wrote it after taking his own trip up to Churchill. It caught our ear and we asked if we could use it and he said yes. Thanks, Kishi. If you want to see some incredible imagery of polar bears and my time up in Hudson Bay, we've made a short behind the scenes film to share with you produced by Paul Bikis. There's a link in our show notes. And as always, there are some great photographs and clips on Instagram at The Wild Pod and mine at Chris Morgan Wildlife. This is the last episode of Season 5, folks. Wow. But guess what? We're already working on Season 6. Thank you for being our audience. We love hearing from you, we love being a part of your life. Here's to more stories to come. The Wild is inspired not just by nature but by the people who work in it, love it, protect it. The Wild is a production of KUOW in Seattle and me, Chris Morgan, with support from Wildlife Media. Our producers are Matt Martin and Lucy Suchek. Jim Gates is our editor. A huge thank you to the Isdell Family Foundation who provided a grant to make this episode possible. A very special thank you for their kind financial support to Jill and Scott Walker, Rose Letwin, Alan Ferguson, Anna Kimball, John Taylor, Paul Lister, Mark Wilkins and Rebecca Badger, Bob Yellowlees, Barbara Stallman, and Annie Mize. Our production team includes Paul Bikis, Juan Pablo Chiquiza, April Craig, Michaela Gianotti-Boyle, Tatiana Latre, Cara McDermott, Darcy Riggin-Schmidt, and Brendan Sweeney. Our theme music is by Michael Parker. I'm Chris Morgan. Take care of yourselves, and do what you can to take care of our planet. We're all very much in this together. Thanks so much for listening. Has anyone else just not bothered to put their seatbelt on because it's too much hassle?
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, this jacket is puffy enough to get into an accident. Of... <laughs> it's, like one of, it's like one of those airbags. <laughs> it's an, an
1: airbag bag. system that you wear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.